Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 58 A pleasant account of the puppet play with other very good things. Gentlemen, said the boy, raising his voice, we present you here with a true history taken out of the Chronicles of France and the Spanish ballads sung even by the boys about the streets and in everybody's mouth. It tells you how Don Gaferos delivered his wife Melisandre, that was a prisoner among the Moors in Spain, in the city of Sansuena, now called Saragossa. Now, gallants, the first figure we present you with is Don Gaferos, playing at tables, according to the ballad. Gaferos now at tables plays, forgetful of his lady dear. Next you will mark that personage that peeps out there with a crown on his head and a scepter in his hand. It is the Emperor Charlemagne, the fair Melisandre's reputed father, who, vexed at the idleness and negligence of his son-in-law, comes to chide him and pray, observe with what passion and earnestness he rates him, as if he had a mind to lend him half a dozen sound raps over the pate with his scepter, nay, some authors do not stick to tell you he gave him as many, and well laid on too. Now see how he starts up, and in a rage knocks the tables one way, and whirls the men another, and, calling for his arms with all haste, borrows his cousin German Orlando's sword, Durandana, who withal offers to go along with him in this difficult adventure, but the valorous and raged knight will not let him, and says he is able to deliver his wife himself without his help, though they kept her down in the very center of the earth. And now he is going to put on his armor in order to begin his journey. Now, gentlemen, cast your eyes upon yon tower. You are to suppose that one of the towers of the castle of Saragossa. That lady, whom you see in the balcony in a Moorish habit, is the peerless Melisandre, casting many a heavy look towards France, thinking of Paris and her husband, the only comfort in her imprisonment. But now, silence, gentlemen, pray, silence. Here is an accident wholly new, but like perhaps never heard of before. Don't you see that Moor who comes on tiptoe, creeping and stealing along with his finger in his mouth, 
behind Melisandre? Hear what a smack he gives on her sweet lips and see how she spits and wipes her mouth with her white smock sleeve, see how she takes on and tears her lovely hair for very madness as if it were to blame for this affront. Next, pray observe that grave moor that stands in the open gallery that is Marsilius, the king of Sansuena, who, having been an eyewitness of the sauciness of the moor, ordered him immediately to be apprehended, though his kinsman and great favorite, and to have two hundred lashes given him. And look how all this is put in execution sooner almost than the fact is committed, for your moors, you must know, don't use any form of indictment as we do, nor yet have they any legal trials. Child, child, said Don Quixote, go on directly with your story, and don't keep us here with your excursions and ramblings out of the road. I tell you there must be a formal process and legal trial to prove matters of fact. Boy, said the master from behind the show, do as the gentleman bids you. Don't run so much upon flourishes, but follow your plain song without venturing on counterpoint for fear of spoiling all. I will, sir, quoth the boy, and so proceeding, now, sirs, he that you see there on horseback is Don Gaferos himself, whom his wife, now revenged on the more for his impudence, seeing from the battlements of the tower, takes him for a stranger, and talks with him as such, according to the ballad. Quoth Melisandre, if perchance, Sir Traveler, you go for France, for pity's sake, ask when you're there, for Gayferos, my husband dear. I omit the rest, not to tire you with a long story. It is sufficient that he makes himself known to her, and accordingly, see how she lets herself down from the balcony to come at her loving husband and get behind him, but alas. The skirt of her gown is caught upon one of the spikes of the balcony, and there she hangs and hovers miserably in the air, without being able to get down. But see how heaven is merciful, and sends relief in the greatest distress. Don Gayferos rides up to her, and, not fearing to tear her rich gown, lays hold on it, and at one pull brings her down, and then at one lift sets her astride upon his horse's crupper, bidding her to sit fast, and clasp her arms about him, for the Lady Melisandre was not used to that kind of riding. Observe now how the horse neighs, and shews how proud he is of the burden of his brave master and fair mistress. Look now how they turn their backs and leave the city, and gallop it merrily away towards Paris. Peace be with you, for a peerless couple of true lovers. May you get safe and sound into your own country, without any let or ill chance in your journey, and live in peace and quietness among your friends and relations. Plainness, boy, cried Master Peter, none of your flights, I beseech you. The boy answered nothing, but going on, Now, sirs, quoth he, some of those idle people that love to pry into everything happened to spy Melisandre as she was making her escape, and ran presently and gave Marsilius notice of it, whereupon he straight commanded to sound an alarm, and now mind what a din and hurly-burly there is, and how the city shakes with the ring of the bells backwards in all the mosques. 
there you are out, boy, said Don Quixote, the Moors have no bells, they only use kettle drums, and it kind of shams like our weights or hoboys, so that your ringing of bells in Sansuena is a mere absurdity, good Master Peter. Nay, sir, said Master Peter, giving over ringing, if you stand upon these trifles with us, we shall never please you. Don't be so severe a critic. Are there not a thousand plays that pass with great success and applause, though they have many greater absurdities and nonsense in abundance? On, boy, on, no matter, so I get the money. Well said, answered Don Quixote. And now, sirs, quoth the boy, observe what a vast company of glittering horse comes pouring out of the city in pursuit of the Christian lovers. What a dreadful sound of trumpets and clarions and drums and kettle drums there is in the air. I fear they will overtake them, and then will the poor wretches be dragged along most barbarously at the tails of their horses, which would be sad indeed. Don Quixote, seeing such a number of moors, and hearing such an alarm, thought it high time to assist the flying lovers, and starting up, it shall never be said while I live, cried he aloud, that I suffered such a wrong to be done to so famous a knight and so daring a lover as Don Gaferos. Forbear then your unjust pursuit, ye base-born rascals. Stop, or prepare to meet my furious resentment. Then drawing out his sword to make good his threats, at one spring he gets to the show, and with a violent fury lays at the Moorish puppets, cutting and slashing in a most terrible manner, some he overthrows, and beheads others, means this, and cleaves that in pieces. Among the rest of his merciless strokes, he thundered one down with such a mighty force, that had not Master Peter luckily squatted down, it had certainly chopped off his head as easily as one might cut an apple. Hold, hold, sir, cried the puppet player, after this narrow escape, all for pity's sake. What do you mean, sir? These are no real moors that you cut and hack so, but poor harmless puppets made of pasteboard. Think of what you do, you ruin me forever. All oh, that ever I was born. You have broke me quite. But Don Quixote, without minding his words, doubled and redoubled his blows so thick and laid about him so outrageously that in less than two credos he had cut all the strings and wires, mangled the puppets, and spoiled and demolished the whole machine. King Marsilius was in a grievous condition. The Emperor Charlemagne's head and crown were cleft in two. The whole audience was in a sad consternation. The apes scampered off to the top of the house. The scholar was frightened out of his wits, the page was very uneasy, and Sancho himself was in a terrible fright, for, as he said after the hurricane was over, he had never seen his master in such a rage before. The general rout of the puppets being over, Don Quixote's fury began to abate, and with a more pacified countenance turning to the company, now, said he, 
I could wish all those incredulous persons here whose slight night errantry might receive conviction of their error, and behold undeniable proofs of the benefit of that function, for how miserable had been the condition of poor Don Gayferos and the fair Melisandre by this time, had I not been here and stood up in their defense. I make no question but those infidels would have apprehended them and used them barbarously. Well, when all is done, long live night errantry, long let it live, I say, above all things whatsoever in this world. I, I, said Master Peter in a doleful tone, let it live long for me, so I may die, for why should I live so unhappy as to say with King Rodrigo, yesterday I was Lord of Spain, today I have not a foot of land I can call mine? It is not half an hour, nay scarce a moment, since I had kings and emperors at command. I had horses in abundance, and chests and bags full of fine things, but now you see me a poor sorry undone man, quite and clean broke and cast down, and in short a mere beggar. What is worst of all, I have lost my ape too, and all through the rash fury of this night here, who they say protects the fatherless, redresses wrongs, and does other charitable deeds, but has failed in all these good offices to miserable me. Well may I call him the knight of the sorrowful figure, for he has put me and all that belongs to me in a sorrowful case. The puppet player's lamentations moving Sancho's pity, come, quoth he, don't cry, Master Peter, thou breakest my heart to hear thee take on so, don't be cast down, man, for my master's a better Christian, I am sure, than to let any poor man come to loss by him, when he comes to know he has done you wrong, he will pay you for every farthing of damage, I will engage. Truly, said Master Peter, if his worship would but pay me for the puppets he has spoiled, I will ask no more, and he will discharge his conscience, for he that wrongs his neighbor, and does not make restitution, can never hope to be saved, that is certain. I grant it, said Don Quixote, but I am not sensible how I have in the least injured you, good Master Peter. How, sir? Not injured me, cried Master Peter. Why, these poor relics that lie here on the cold ground cry out for vengeance against you. Was it not the invincible force of that powerful arm of yours that has scattered and dismembered them so? And whose were those bodies, sir, but mine? And by whom was I maintained but by them? Well, said Don Quixote, now I am thoroughly convinced of a truth which I have had reason to believe before, that those cursed magicians that daily persecute me do nothing but delude me, first drawing me into dangerous adventures by the appearances of them as really they are, and then presently after changing the face of things as they please. Really and truly, gentlemen, I vow and protest before you all that hear me, that all that was acted here seemed to be really transacted ipso facto as it appeared. To me Melisandre appeared to be Melisandre, Don Gayferos was Don Gayferos, Marsilius Marsilius, and Charlemagne was the real Charlemagne. Which being so, I could not contain my fury and acted according to the duties of my function, which obliges me to take the injured side. Now, 
but what I have done proves to be quite contrary to my good design. The fault ought not to be imputed to me, but to my persecuting foes, yet I am myself sorry for the mischance, and will myself pay the costs. Let Master Peter see what he must have for the figures, and I will pay it him now in good and lawful money. Heaven bless your worship, cried Master Peter with a profound cringe, I could expect no less from the wonderful Christianity of the valorous Don Quixote de la Mancha, the sure relief and bulwark of all miserable wanderers. Now let my landlord and the great Sancho be mediators and appraisers between your worship and myself, and I will stand to their award. They agreed, and presently Master Peter taking up Marsilius, King of Saragossa, that lay by on the ground with his head off, you see, gentlemen, said he, it is impossible to restore this king to his former dignity, and therefore, with submission to your better judgments, I think that for his destruction, and to get him a successor, seven and twenty pence is little enough on conscience. Proceed, said Don Quixote. Then for this that is cleft in two, said Master Peter, taking up the Emperor Charlemagne, I think he is richly worth one and thirty pence halfpenny. Not so richly neither, quoth Sancho. Truly, said the innkeeper, I think it is pretty reasonable, but we will make even money, let the poor fellow have half a crown. Come, said Don Quixote, let him have his full price. We will not stand haggling for so small a matter in a case like this, so make haste, Master Peter, for it is near supper time, and I have some strong presumptions that I shall eat heartily. Now, said Master Peter, for this figure here that is without a nose and blind with one eye, being the fair Melisandre, I will be reasonable with you. Give me fourteen pence. I would not take less from my brother. In this manner he went on, setting his price upon the dead and wounded, which the arbitrators moderated to the content of both parties, and the whole sum amounted to forty reals and three quarters, which Sancho paid him down, and then Master Peter demanded two reals more for the trouble of catching his ape. Give it him, said Don Quixote, and set the monkey to catch the ape, and now when I give two hundred more to be assured that Don Gayferos and the Lady Melisandre were safely arrived in France among their friends. Nobody can better tell than my ape, said Master Peter, though who will catch him I know not, if hunger or his kindness for me do not bring us together again tonight. However, tomorrow will be a new day, and when it is light we will see what is to be done. The whole disturbance being appeased, to supper they went lovingly together, and Don Quixote treated the whole company, for he was liberality itself. Before day, the man with the lances and halberds left the inn, and some time after the scholar and the page came to take leave of the knight, the first to return home, and the second to continue his journey towards whose charges Don Quixote gave him twelve reals. As for Master Peter, he knew too much of the knight's humor to desire to have anything to do with him, and therefore, having picked up the ruins of the puppet show, and got his ape again, by break of day he packed off to seek his fortune. The innkeeper, who did not know Don Quixote, was as much surprised at his liberality as at his madness.
In fine, Sancho paid him very honestly by his master's order, and mounting a little before eight o'clock they left the inn and proceeded on their journey, during which some other matters occurred, a knowledge of which is very requisite for the better understanding of this famous history. Chapter 59 Wherein is shown Don Quixote's ill success in the brain adventure, which did not end so happily as he desired and expected. After Don Quixote had left the inn, he resolved to take a side of the river Ebro and the country about it before he went to Saragossa, since he was not straitened for time, but might do that, and yet arrived soon enough to make one at the justs and tournaments in that city. Two days he traveled without meeting with anything worth his notice or the readers, while on the third, as he was riding up a hill, he heard a great noise of drums, trumpets, and guns. At first he thought that some regiment of soldiers was on its march that way, which made him spur up Rosinante to the brow of the hill that he might see them pass by, and then he saw at a bottom above two hundred men, as near as he could guess, armed with various weapons, as lances, crossbows, partisans, alberts, pikes, some few firelocks, and a great many targets. Thereupon he descended into the vale, and made his approaches towards the battalion so near as to be able to distinguish their banners and observe their devices, more especially one that was to be seen on a standard of white satin on which was represented to the life a little jackass, much like a Sardinian ass colt, holding up his head, stretching out his neck, and thrusting out his tongue in the very posture of an ass that is braying, with this distic written in fair characters about it. Twas something more than nothing which one day made one and t'other worthy bailiff bray. Don Quixote drew this inference from the motto that those were the inhabitants of the brain town, and he acquainted Sancho with what he had observed, giving him also to understand that the man who told them the story of the two braying aldermen was apparently in the wrong, since, according to the verses on the standard, they were two bailiffs and not two aldermen. It matters not one rush what you call them, quoth Sancho, for those very aldermen that brave might in time come to be made bailiffs of the town, and so both those titles might have been given them well enough. But what is it to you or me, or the story, whether the two brayers were aldermen or bailiffs, so they but bray as we are told? As if a bailiff were not as likely to bray as an alderman. In short, both master and man plainly understood that the men who with us up in arms were those that were jeered for praying, got together to fight the people of another town, who had indeed abused them more than was the part of good neighbors, thereupon Don Quixote advanced towards them, to Sancho's great grief, who had no manner of liking to such kind of adventures. The multitude soon got about the night, taking him for some champion, who was come to their assistance. But Don Quixote, lifting up his visor, with a graceful deportment rode up to the standard, and there all the chief leaders of the army got together about him in order to take a survey of his person, no less amazed at this strange appearance than the rest. Don Quixote seeing them look so earnestly on him, and no man offer so much as a word or question, took occasion from their silence to break his own, and raising his voice, good gentlemen, 
cried he, I beseech you with all the endearments imaginable to give no interruption to the discourse I am now delivering to you unless you find it distasteful or tedious, which, if I am unhappy enough to occasion, at the least hint you shall give me, I will put a seal on my lips and a padlock on my tongue. They all cried that he might speak what he pleased, and they would hear him with all their hearts. Having this license, Don Quixote proceeded. Gentlemen, said he, I am a knight errant, and my profession is to shew favor to those that are in necessity and to give assistance to those that are in distress. I am no stranger to the cause of your uneasiness, which excites you to take arms against your insulting neighbors, and having often reflected upon the motives which have brought you together, I have drawn this inference that according to the laws of arms, you really injure yourselves in thinking yourselves affronted, for no particular person can give an affront to a whole town and society of men, except it be by accusing them all of high treason in general, for want of knowing on which of them to fix some treasonable action of which he supposes some of them to be guilty. Taking it for granted, then, that no particular person can affront a whole kingdom, province, city, commonwealth, or body politic, it is but just to conclude that it is needless to revenge such a pretended affront, since such an abuse is no sufficient provocation, and, indeed, positively no affront. It would be a pretty piece of wisdom, truly, should those out of the town of Relaxa sally out every day on those who spend their ill-natured breaths, miscalling them everywhere. It would be a fine business, indeed, if the inhabitants of those several famous towns that are nicknamed by our rabble and called the one cheesemongers, the other costermongers, these fishmongers, and those soap boilers should know no better than to think themselves dishonored and in revenge be always drawing out their swords at the least word for every idle insignificant quarrel. No, no, heaven forbid. Men of sagacity and wisdom and well-governed commonwealths are never induced to take up arms nor endanger their persons and estates, but on the four following occasions. In the first place, to defend the holy Catholic faith. Secondly, for the security of their lives, which they are commanded to preserve by the laws of God and nature. Thirdly, the preservation of their good name, the reputation of their family, and the conservation of their estates. Fourthly, the service due to their prince in a just war, and, if we please, we may add a fifth, which, indeed, may be referred to the second, the defense of our country. To these five capital causes may be subjoined several others, which may induce men to vindicate themselves and have recourse even to the way of arms, but to take them up for mere trifles and such occasions as rather challenge our mirth and contemptuous lack of them revenge, choose the person who is guilty of such proceedings to labor under a scarcity of sense. Besides, to seek after an unjust revenge and indeed no human revenge can be just, is directly against the holy law we profess, which commands us to forgive our enemies and to do good to those that hate us, an injunction which though it seems difficult in the implicit obedience we should pay to it, 
it is only so to those who have less of heaven than of the world, and more of the flesh than of the spirit. For the Redeemer of mankind, whose words never could deceive, said that his yoke was easy, and his burden light, and according to that, he could prescribe nothing to our practice which was impossible to be done. Therefore, gentlemen, since reason and religion recommend love and peace to you, I hope you will not render yourselves obnoxious to all laws, both human and divine, by a breach of the public tranquility. Verily, quoth Sancho to himself, this master of mine must have been bred a parson, if not, he is as like one as one egg is like another. Don Quixote paused a while to take breath and, perceiving his auditory still willing to give him attention, had proceeded in his harangue and not Sancho's good opinion of his parts made him lay hold on this opportunity to talk in his turn. Gentlemen, quoth he, my master, Don Quixote de la Mancha, once called the Knight of the Sorrowful Figure, and now the Knight of the Lions, is a very judicious gentleman, and talks Latin in his own mother tongue as well as any of your varsity doctors. Whatever discourse he takes in hand, he speaks to the purpose, he has all the laws and rules of punctilio and honor at his finger's end, so that you have no more to do but to do as he says, and if in taking his counsel you ever tread awry, let the blame be laid on my shoulders. And, indeed, as you have already been told, it is a very silly fancy to be ashamed to hear one bray, for I remember while I was a boy, I could bray as often as I listed, and nobody went about to hinder me, and I could do it so rarely, and to the life, without vanity be it spoken, that all the asses in our town would fall a brain when they heard me bray, yet for all this, I was an honest body's child, and came of good parentage, do ye see, it is true, indeed, for the best young men in our. Parish envied me for this great ability of mind, but I cared not a rush for their spite. Now that you may not think I tell you a story, do but hear me, and then judge, for this rare art is like swimming, which, when once learned, is never to be forgotten. This said, he clapped both the palms of his hands to his nose, and fell a braying so obstreperously that it made the neighboring valleys ring again. But while he was thus braying, one of those that stood next to him, believing he did it to mock them, gave him such a hearty blow with a quarterstaff on his back that he brought him to the ground. Don Quixote, seeing what rough entertainment had been given to his squire, moved with his lance in a threatening posture towards the man that had used poor Sancho thus, but the crowd thrust themselves in such a manner between them that the knight found it impracticable to pursue the revenge he designed. At the same time, Finding that a shower of stones began to rain about his ears, and a great number of crossbows and muskets were getting ready for his reception, he turned Rosinante's reins and galloped from them as fast as four legs would carry him, at the same time expecting at every step that he should be shot through the back and have the bullet come out at his breast. But the country battalion were satisfied with seeing him fly and did not offer to shoot at him. As for Sancho, he was set upon his ass before he had well recovered his senses, and then they suffered him to move off, not that the poor fellow had strength enough to guide him, 
but Dapple naturally followed Rosinante of his own accord. The Don being at a good distance from the armed multitude, faced about, and seeing Sancho pacing after him without any troublesome attendance, Stafer is coming up. As for the rabble, they kept their posts till it grew dark, and their enemies not having taken the field to give them battle, they marched home, so overjoyed to have shown their courage, without danger, that, had they been so well-bred as to have known the ancient custom of the Greeks, they would have erected a trophy in that place. Chapter 60 Of some things which he that reads shall know, if he reads them with attention. When the valiant man flies, he must have discovered some foul play, and it is the part of prudent persons to reserve themselves for more favorable opportunities. This truth is verified in Don Quixote, who, rather than expose himself to the fury of an incensed and ill-designing multitude, prudently took himself out of their reach. Sancho came after him, as already narrated, laid across his ass, and having recovered his senses, overtook him at last, and let himself drop from his pack saddle at Rosinante's feet, all battered and bruised, and in a sorrowful condition. Don Quixote presently dismounted to search his wounds, and finding no bones broken, but his skin whole from head to feet, you must pray, cried he angrily, you must pray, must you? It is a piece of excellent discretion to talk of halters in the house of a man whose father was hanged. What counterpart could you expect to your music, blockhead, but a thorough base of bastinados? Thank Providence, Sarah, that as they gave you a dry benediction with a quarterstaff, they did not cross you with a cutlass. I am breath to answer you at present, quoth Sancho, but my back and shoulders speak enough for me. Pray let us make the best of our way from this cursed place, and when I pray again, may I be as well punished for it. Yet I cannot help saying that your knights errant can betake themselves to their heels, and yet leave their trusty squires to be beaten like stockfish in the midst of their enemies. Our retreat is not to be accounted a flight, replied Don Quixote, for no, Sancho, that courage which has not wisdom for its guide falls under the name of temerity, and the rash man's successful actions are rather owing to his good fortune than to his bravery. I own I did retire, but I deny that I fled, and in such a retreat I did but imitate many valiant men who, not to hazard their persons indiscreetly, reserved themselves for a more fortunate hour. Histories are full of examples of this nature, which I do not care to relate at present, because they would be more tedious to me than profitable to thee. By this time Don Quixote had helped Sancho to bestride his ass, and being himself mounted on Rosinante, they paced softly along and got into a grove of poplar trees about a quarter of a league from the place where they mounted. Yet as softly as they rode, Sancho could not help now and then heaving up deep sighs and lamentable groans. Don Quixote asked him why he made such a heavy moan. Sancho told him, that from his neck to his backbone he felt such grievous pains that he was ready to sink. Without doubt, said Don Quixote, 
that is by reason that the staff by which thou wert struck was broad and long, and so, having fallen on those parts of thy back, caused a contusion there, and affects them all a pain, and had it been of a greater magnitude, thy grievances had been so much the greater. Truly, quoth Sancho, you have cleared that in very pithy words, of which nobody made any doubt. Was the cause of my ailing so hard to be guessed, that you must tell me that so much of me was sore as was hit by the weapon? But I find you are like all the world, that lay to heart nobody's harms but their own. I find whereabouts we are, and what I am like to get by you, for even as you left me now in the lurch, to be belabored, and the other day to dance the caper galliard in the blanket you would have, so I must expect a hundred and a hundred more of these good things in your service, and as the mischief has now lighted on my shoulders, next time it may fly at my eyes. Would it not be better for me to trudge home to my wife and children, and look after my house, with that little wit that heaven has given me, without galloping after your tail, high and low, through crossroads and byways, eating ale and drinking worse? Then, after a man has tired himself off his legs, when he would be glad of a good bed, to have a master cry, Here, are you sleepy? Lie down, Mr. Squire, your bed is made, take six feet of good hard ground, and measure your body there, and if that won't serve you, take as much more, and welcome. I durst lay a wager, said Don Quixote, interrupting him, that now thou art suffered to prate without interruption, thou feelest no manner of pain in thy whole body. Prithee talk on, my child, say anything that comes uppermost to thy mouth, or is burdensome to thy brain, so it but alleviates thy pain, thy impertinences will rather please than offend me, and if thou hast such a longing desire to be at home with thy wife and children, heaven forbid I should be against it. Thou hast money of mine in thy hands, see how long it is since we sallied out last from home, and cast up thy wages by the month, and pay thyself. And it like your worship, quoth Sancho, when I serve my master Carrasco, father to the bachelor, your worship's acquaintance, I had two ducats a month, besides my vittles, I don't know what you'll give me, though I am sure there is more trouble in being squire to a knight errant than in being servant to a farmer, for truly, we that go to plow and cart in a farmer's service, though we moil and sweat silly days as not to have a dry thread to our backs, let the worst come to the worst, or sure of a supper from the pot, and to sleep soundly in a bed. But I don't know why I have had a good meal's meat, or a good night's rest, in all your service, unless it were that short time when we were at Don Diego's house, and when I made a feast on the savory skimming of Camacho's cauldron, and eat, drank, and slept at Mr. Basil's. I grant all this, Sancho, said Don Quixote, then how much more dost thou expect from me than thou hadst from thy master Carrasco? Why, truly, quoth Sancho, if your worship will pay me twelve pence a month more than Thomas Carrasco gave me, I shall think it very fair and tolerable wages, but then, instead of the island which, you know, you promised me, I think you cannot in conscience give me less than six and thirty pence a month more, which will make in all thirty reals, 
neither more nor less. Very well, said Don Quixote, let us see then, it is now twenty-five days since we set out from home reckon what this comes to, according to the wages thou hast allowed thyself, and be thy own paymaster. Ah, but, quoth Sancho, we are quite out of our account, for as to the governor of an island's place, which you promised to help me to, we ought to reckon from the time you made the promise to this very day. Well, and pray how long is it? asked Don Quixote. If I remember rightly, quoth Sancho, it is about some twenty years ago, two or three days more or less. With that Don Quixote fell a laughing heartily. Why, cried he, all my sallies, including the time I spent in the Sierra Morena, have hardly taken up two months, and hast thou the impudence to affirm it is twenty years since I promised the grant of the island? I am now convinced thou hast a mind to make all the money which thou hast of mine in thy keeping go for the payment of thy wages. If this be thy meaning, well and good, e'en take it, and much good may it do thee, for rather than be troubled any longer with such a varlet, I would contentedly see myself without a penny. Away, then, pack off with thy ass this moment, and get thee home, for thou shalt never stay in my service any longer. Oh, how much bread, how many promises, have I now ill bestowed on thee? Thou groveling wretch, thou hast more of the beast than of the man. Why well, I was just going to prefer thee to such a post, that in spite of thy wife thou hadst been called my lord, thou sneakest away from me. Well mightest thou say, indeed, that honey is not for the mouth of an ass. Thou art indeed a very ass, an ass thou wilt live, and an ass thou wilt die, for I dare say, thou wilt never have sense enough while thou livest to know thou art a brute. While Don Quixote thus upbraided and railed at Sancho, the poor fellow, all dismayed, and touched to the quick, beheld him with a wistful look, and the tears standing in his eyes for grief, good sir, cried he with a doleful voice, I confess I want nothing but a tale to be a perfect ass, if your worship will be pleased but to put on one, I shall deem it well set on, and be your most faithful ass all the days of my life, but forgive me, I beseech you, and take pity on my youth. Consider I have but a dull headpiece of my own, and if tongue runs at random sometimes, it is because I am more fool than knave, sir. He who errs and mends, to heaven himself commends. I should wonder much, said Don Quixote, if thou shouldst not interlard thy discourse with some pretty proverb. Well, I will pardon thee this once, provided thou correct those imperfections, and shewest thyself of a less craving temper. Take heart, then, and let the hopes which thou mayest entertain of the performance of my promise raise in thee a nobler spirit. Matters being thus amicably adjusted, they put into the grove, where the dawn laid himself at the foot of an elm, and his squire at the foot of a beech, for every one of those trees, and such others, has always a foot, though never a hand. Sancho had but an ill night's rest of it, for his bruises made his bones more than ordinarily sensible of the cold. As for Don Quixote, he entertained himself with his usual imaginations. 
However, they both slept, and by break of day were ready to continue their journey. 